Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Miner. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Elise Gaitis, the Executive Director of Fresh Express by Discovery Triangle. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I think that this is a, a timely topic because it always is, but it also gives me an opportunity to poke fun at Centauri because be he used to be chubby. Right. And were you aware of that fact? I've seen pictures. Maybe. You guys are both. <laughs> I think that that needs to go on the Facebook page, these, uh, these uh, pictures. Can it be the thumbnail photo for this next podcast? We can do a before yeah, and after. Okay. That's, that, that's, that's a pretty good idea. There are now more obese people, and this has probably been true for several years, but there's now more obese people in the world than there are hungry people, which I don't know. Oh, wow. I think that, that was, that's been true for a while now. Yeah, so I mean, I will say that one of the misconceptions of food insecurity is obesity means that you're not hungry. And what mm. we've actually found in a lot of spaces is that obesity correlates to a lack of access to nutritious foods. So you can still be hungry um, and eat very poor quality and very low nutritious foods. So obesity and hunger are not opposites. In fact, in many of the work in food insecurity and anti-hunger, you're seeing an over-prevalence and abundance of sodas and, and really poor nutritious foods and not a lot of the foods that we need to keep us healthy. So that's kind of a, a misconception a little bit. But Yeah. Well, and whether they're hungry or not, they're, they're extremely unhealthy. So they're still starving for quality food. Sure. So anyway, well, it's great to have you on. Yeah. We have a new segment and we had Eric Miller on last week and he was the first one to go through our three over three. That so sure, it, it for sure was. Um, so the, the, over the last three years, the three biggest pieces of learning that you've experienced. So this took me a little while to think about it too, because I, I certainly have some pieces of advice that were given to me that I've taken into how I operate and how, you know, we, we operate our program. Um, so I think the first thing for me, it was something that my founder instilled upon me um, and it used to frustrate me to no end when we worked together and now I, I just, I have nothing but appreciation for it was do now and ask for forgiveness later. And he, and I used to ask him all the time, can you help me with this? And he would, he would now I realize purposely not help me on these things. And, and it was really in this, you're in this space of the unknown, just go ahead and do it now and we'll figure out how to make the pieces work later. Um, and that's helped me immensely, um, both in the work that I do around food insecurity and access to food, because this is a pretty new and innovative space to be in, at least with regard to the work that we're doing. Um, so that's given me some leeway to just try and see what works and, and let's figure out the piece and, and we'll go from there. So we're kind of in uncharted territory in, in mobile market service delivery. And so that's given me um, some good motivation to take what we do to the next level and just kind of throw noodles on the wall and see what sticks, not to waste food in that time. But um, so the other one, I think the, the biggest thing I've learned is, is the value of my network. Um, I always used to have this perception that networking was this cold call in person salesy thing. And I really hated the idea of networking. Um, and I've really kind of turned that around and embraced the value of the people that we know and the people that I know, um, both in my work professionally and then just personally um, in some of the other efforts that I'm involved in. So I think that is one thing that I've learned, um, the tremendous benefit of having a good network behind you. Um, and then I think with specifically with regard to food insecurity, one of the things that I've learned um, in the last three years is that access is such a small piece of the problem in food insecurity um, and certainly in healthy eating that that we can provide the access all day long but there are other things and other barriers at play certainly in food deserts but really just in any area where maybe healthy food or access to resources is limited that prevents people from leading a healthy lifestyle and that is you know that's education that is the way that our, our streets and our system is designed it's the way that we think about access to resources for people in poverty. Um, so we can provide access all day. Um, and unless we, we do more to kind of break down some of those other barriers, we're not actually going to do anything to change health behavior. Um, and that's informed our work in a lot of what we do, um, you know, whether it be access to health screenings and nutrition education, 
um, really just creating and empowering the idea of choice and creating choice and equity and choice in the way that you or I have choices to go get our foods wherever we want. We might still choose the unhealthy option, but we understand that those are our choices. And a lot of people in um, poverty and in, in communities that don't have these choices available, they're limited. And so I really see the work that we do is, is breaking down that barrier of access and creating that choice opportunity so that everybody can make their own decisions about their health and wellness for themselves and their families. Nice. So you talk about um, the work that you do. And so for some context and level setting for our listeners on just the idea of food insecurity and Fresh Express, talk to us about your organization and kind of what you're out to accomplish. Yeah. So the Discovery Triangle Development Corporation was actually founded in 2010 um, by Don Kuth and a couple other partners to really look at this vibrant opportunity corridor between the cities of Tempe and Phoenix. Um, it's was right when the light rail was receiving a lot of attention, and, and there's this 25-square-mile radius that has extreme assets in the community, the light rail, the airport, uh, multiple universities. And what this group was really tasked with doing is finding opportunities to create um, just a vibrant urban core, to, to get headquarters to, to um, you know, move into the area, to attract businesses, to attract residents, and really make this area an extreme um, opportunity for growth and development. And one of the things that they noticed early on was that many of the residents in this specific region didn't have access to healthy food. There was not really a grocery store, or it was in maybe one pocket, but there weren't reliable you know, transportation options to get there. And a lot of the residents in this area also lived below the poverty line. Mm. And so um, our late founder, Don Kuth, who um, is from the Chicago area originally, heard about a mobile market concept in Chicago and, and went out there and kind of took away uh, do's and don'ts list uh, and really kind of uh, mapped and, and molded out what a mobile market concept would look like in Phoenix. At the same time, separately, I was in grad school studying public health and, and public policy around this idea of, of the built environment and health and how those two are related, how urban planning um, you know, can perpetuate cycles of unhealthy lifestyles and things like that. And I developed a business plan for a mobile market concept in Phoenix. And I had this you know, big idea to go start my own nonprofit and find this vehicle and, and retrofit it and do this whole thing. And I heard about Fresh Express and I just graduated and I was a broke postgraduate student and I met Don and I said, well, I hate you. You stole my idea. This is, I can't compete with you. I mean, you got a bus. What am I supposed to do with that? And uh, he laughed and said, well, I actually need someone to run the program. I'm on my way right now to go meet with someone. And I immediately said, I'm sorry, I don't hate you. Let me send you my resume. Um, and the rest is history. And what I love about that kind of partnership mindset that we had is they really came in from the, the understanding of building um, a, re a reputable organization with the businesses in the area. So they got business buy-in. They got you know initial seed funding. Um, they had the bus and the relationships with Valley Metro. And I came in from that public health mindset, and we, we worked together to to create Fresh Express. Um, so at its core, we're a mobile produce market that goes around to low-income and low-access communities um, and sells really high-quality, affordable fruits and vegetables. We um, are out four days a week right now, five stops a day. So we're hitting 20 different stops in the community that are either in what we call a USDA-designated food desert, which means a mile or more from a grocery store, or close to it. And so what I mean by that is, for example, um, if it's August and I'm at a senior community and they're three quarters a mile away from a grocery store, um, there's still going to be mobility challenges. There's still going to be issues at health clinics where maybe um, you know there isn't a reliable bus line or something to get to, to healthy food. So we try and place healthy food options and, and create that, that choice um, for customers that otherwise wouldn't have easy access to healthy food. We also do nutrition education, like I said. We provide health resources. Um, we have nursing students that occasionally shadow the bus or nutrition students to provide that context for why it's important. Um, so again, we recognize that access is a small piece, that we want to make sure that they have that, that learning component there as well. Um, and then we work with you know, uh, a group of farmers. A lot of them come from California, Mexico, and we source most of our produce through a local distributor here that, that, that contracts with farmers all over the region. And as much as possible, we supplement with, with local to support our local farmers, to support our local food economy. Um, so that, that's kind of where we are in a nutshell, and that's, that's what keeps the, the, the wheels on the, on the ground day to day. So I'm curious, um, how long it's been operational for how long? 
April will be four years on the road. Four years. And so what's the efficacy of the program? So what outcomes have you seen? That It's a great question. So um, we have seen, not, not only have we seen an increase in sales from year to year, which, you know, my mindset coming into this was that it's less about sales and it's more about the number of customers. So we're mm-hmm. increasing the number of customers we serve year to year. Um, one of the things that... I'm most proud of in the work that we've done is something um, around our Double Up Food Box program. So in Arizona, we have um, a program called Double Up Food Box, and it basically incentivizes our uh, SNAP users, SNAP is Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, um, formerly known as Food Stamps. And it incentivizes our SNAP users to buy locally grown food. And these are dollars that go directly back to farmers. Um, They're getting more highly nutritious food um, into their diets, and they're purchasing those. And those food dollars are going toward those healthy food purchases. So SNAP dollars can be used on anything at a grocery store. We only sell produce, and so that kind of is a, a non-issue for Fresh Express customers. But what we wanted to do is make sure that that uh, our customers were supporting local farms as much as possible. And since we started that program, our sales have almost transformed um, to meet the needs of those customers even more. So we're serving more SNAP customers than ever. Those customers report eating more healthy fruits and vegetables. Um, Some of our customers have told us that they're losing weight. Um, Some of our customers have said, you know, their nurse or their doctor told them that they're pre-diabetic and unless they start to eat more fruits and vegetables, um, that that health concern is going to be more and more serious. And they've said that without Fresh Express, they wouldn't have access to those foods. So a lot of our, I would say, our results have been um, anecdotal in that respect. We do a lot of uh, customer surveys to find out if Fresh Express wasn't around um, where they'd be getting their food. Um, and, and they continue to report it would be, you know, we don't have access to a vehicle at all times during the day, so we go to whatever's on the corner, which is fast food restaurants. It's liquor stores. It's convenience stores. There's certainly an effort to across the state, and we can talk about this too, to really start to say, okay, well, we can't put a grocery store within every square mile of every neighborhood. It's just not realistic. So what are the ways that we can add healthy food options into grocery stores, convenience stores, in a way that that attracts more customers into them? And and this Double Up Food Box program certainly starts that conversation to say, not only are we interested in healthy food, we're interested in locally grown healthy food to help bolster our local food economy and things like that. Um, I think the other thing, you know, our our success to one of the um, one of the things that we realized early on was we were never going to be able to fund our entire operation in produce sales alone. We'd have to charge about you know, eight dollars a banana to cover overhead, um, and that was never going to be a sustainable practice. So we used a lot of foundation dollars and and generous contributions from from different sponsors. But one of the things that we wanted to really look at is a way that we could become more financially sustainable over time. So we actually um, quantified the ad value of, of our bus. We're the only mobile market doing the work that we're doing right now in Phoenix. And so it's a tremendous opportunity for sponsors and like-minded organizations to get involved with our program and be um, a sponsor of what we're doing. We've been very fortunate that um, Mercy Care Plan and Mercy Maricopa, they're a, a health insurance company, uh, they've been our premier sponsor for the bus for the past two years. And if you... Uh, get a chance to visit the bus, their logo is everywhere. You know, we have co-branded materials, we've got their logo on the outside, and they really understand it, you know, from the marketing part department as a ROI, it's a return on investment, it's exposure that they get on the freeways and the main cores of our city um, that people get to see that logo and recognize that as synonymous with healthy eating and lifestyle change. Um, but one of the, you know, other things that they're doing is they're trying to make their 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 clients healthier. They're trying to make their members healthier. They're trying to make the community that ultimately goes to the hospital healthier. Um, so there's a tremendous value in working with healthcare organizations and hospitals in being that direct service arm for some of the prevention efforts that they're trying to do. So that certainly made us successful um, in the past. And as we think about what's next, um, we've got a, a second mobile market coming online in the next couple of months, um, and we've used a similar funding model to go after interested parties like that as well. So I think that's going to sustain us in terms of funding, and now it's a matter of drilling down on you know, what are the program specifics we want to look at, um, who can we partner with that's already doing important nutrition work to help us get to that next level and truly start to affect behavioral change. So how has it been going asking for forgiveness over permission? Good for the most part. Um, yeah, I think, so like I said, one of the things that provides a, a tremendous opportunity for us is that we're one of the only people really around the country doing this work. And so we get to set the standard, if you will, on how we're going to 
implement this. And so part of that is is trying out a, a special event and seeing if it works, trying out, um, you know, we, we did different promotions where we were having people say silly veggie words. We were like hiding them on social media and trying to get social media like that kind of didn't work. Um, but for the most part, I think it's gone well. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing too is, is the conversations and, and using the bus as kind of a foot in the door to, to have a bigger conversation about food insecurity and about hunger and about access to nutrition food um, from the city level, certainly, um, hopefully someday on the state level, and then really across the country. How do we start to have these conversations and how do we use a proven model that's got tremendous buy-in from the community and say, hey, we're not going anywhere. We figured this out. It's time to listen to us. And so whether it's been small do now, ask for forgiveness later, or, or building momentum towards starting to have a broader conversation about food insecurity. Um, it's gone pretty well so far. Good. Where did you grow up? Here. In Phoenix. Okay. I did, yeah, born and raised. So what was, what motivated you to get into the, the graduate school program that you did? That's a great question. Um, I... It continues to amaze me every time I, you know, I've done leadership trainings and different things like this, and it's all about your story. And I find more out about my story than I ever thought I knew and how much of that informs a lot of the work that I do. So, um, you know, when I was when I was very young, my, my parents divorced and, and uh, I, for the most part, you know, just had nothing but just tremendous support networks on both sides. But um, I... I my mom struggled financially a little bit and there were actually times where we we had to rely a little bit on on food boxes and and you know we'd, we'd cut back on certain foods because they got too expensive and um, I was very fortunate that that I you know my mom always tried to give us those healthy foods or it was always limiting the amount of junk food we can have but sometimes you were you know you just couldn't help it and so a lot of I think the food work that I do um, really is informed by that safety net that was there for us when we were kids hmm. um, and it just I never connected those dots when I was younger and, and it's just been recently where I really thought about that the other thing too is um, you know my dad when I was nine my dad who was my rock he's my best friend he you know was just a tremendous force in my life um, he had a heart attack when I was nine and I was so traumatized I actually fainted in the hospital when I saw him which I'm sure gave him a second heart attack. Uh, and I was like carted away and, you know, just completely, it was, it was quite a <laughs> Not what I need experience. right now. <laughs> and, and, you know, his, his, he has a family history of heart disease. And, and, um, and I remember growing up just worried all the time that my dad might die from this thing. And, and he struggled with it for, for a long time. And, and, um, you know, he's very healthy now, but one of the things that I realized in, in access to healthy food is that healthy food is, is a preventative measure against some of these things that we just think are these inevitable things that plague our society, heart disease, diabetes, you know, diet-related illnesses is very, very real. And access to these foods, is certainly in communities where there's barriers to them, um, you see it in, in, in the data and the science. I mean, people in poverty, people in food deserts have poor health outcomes because and one of the many reasons is because they don't have access to food. And so a lot of the work that I do now is making sure that everybody has access to these foods so that they don't, you know, have to worry about some of these diet-related illnesses. So that's been really interesting. And I think just from a from a general city perspective, you know, I, um, I hated Arizona growing up. I, I hated Phoenix. I thought it was boring and drab and too spread out. And, you know, cities were so cool and fun. I had this love affair with the East Coast since I was way too young to be dreaming about going to college on the East Coast, but it was my dream, and I wanted to see leaves change and fall, and and I did that for a year, uh, my freshman year of college, and winters are no joke, um, so that kind of forced me running back home, and when I did that, I realized how much um, the tremendous opportunity of investing in my home and making it the place that I want everybody else to come running to, the way that I always wanted to run to those other cities. So, you know, now I go and visit, and I, I love the cities and the places that I go see, but I have tremendous tremendous pride in, in making sure that I'm fighting every day so that, that other people can take pride um, in Phoenix the way that I've kind of come to do over the years. So, Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. We've talked um, a good amount about the program, but if you would, maybe you already talked about it and I missed it, what what are the numbers of those that are affected by food deserts or the problem that you're working to solve? 
Yeah. How, how many people are we talking about? So Fresh Express right now operates, um, like I said, it's within the Discovery Triangle, but we've also expanded our boundaries a little bit to include places like South Phoenix, um, West Phoenix, and Maryvale, um, which have, you know, uh, lower income levels. There's a lot of pockets where there aren't a lot of resources or access to healthy food. Um, our new mobile market, or our second mobile market, will focus on the Sunny Slope community and kind of up in that corridor. Uh, we're kind of dealing with the same issues. Um, and so within that population alone, I, I could speak just generally within the county, there's about 15% of residents that live a mile more from a grocery store. 15. 15% within our county alone. And that obviously, when you think about statewide, that doesn't take into account rural communities, tribal communities, um, where there's other just extreme distances between access to healthy food. And so one of the things, um, you know, and again, Fresh Express, I think is just a small piece of the pie here is how do we start to have a conversation about creating an, an equitable, robust food system across the state? Um, and certainly mobile markets play uh, an important role in that, in that service delivery. But there's other things and other, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of momentum happening around food right now um, in urban areas. For example, trying to get healthy food options in convenience stores. So there's, you know, many situations where there's already an established relationship between communities and that convenience store. Why not? give the convenience store manager the tools that they need to carry healthy foods, whether they be local or not. Certainly want to get towards more local and supporting our local farmers, but things like potatoes and bananas and these foods that you might see one off at a, at a convenience store at a Circle K, and they're a dollar, dollar fifty each. It's not obviously enough to feed your family. So um, I you know, work with other partners that are kind of involved in that space of, of food shouldn't just be our traditional brick-and-mortar grocery store anymore. Um, on the other side of it, you see, you know, we're moving towards this internet-based economy, and, and one of the, the pilot programs that are happening around the country, there's nothing happening in Arizona yet, is being able to accept SNAP payments online. Currently, you can't do that. So any transactions need to happen face-to-face, mm. -face, grocery stores and, and mobile markets, things like that. But one of the things that makes sense to me is, as we think about this, this change in delivery toward a more internet-based economy, how do we get a system set up so that local farmers um, or local food uh, co-ops, for example, or um, you know different aggregators can actually have that direct relationship with customers to say, I want to order these products and I, and I want to purchase them online and maybe they pick them up somewhere at a farmer's market or things like that. So I see online ordering as being part of this solution that we're trying to work towards that everybody has access to high quality food. And once we can kind of remove those access barriers, there's still gonna be a disparity in terms of health outcomes. And so how do we start to overlay that with education and nutrition? Um, Fresh Express has never been and probably will never be the premier authority on what is the healthiest and most nutritious things, but we can partner with the organizations that already do that work. So the County Department of Public Health, for example, they have nutritionists and interns and, and dietitians and, and doctors and you know certainly hospitals have doctors that all work in this space already. We don't need to have all of that under our nonprofit umbrella. We just need to be able to work with the, the experts in the community that do. Sure. And when I think about what's next in terms of just the nonprofit sector, but really just collaboration and, and innovation and what's ahead for how we solve some of our world's problems or our city's problems, certainly that public-private partnership is an important role, that, that, you know, that community buy-in as well as the business buy-in and how do we all come to the table to have a discussion about what this looks like. And I think you know, the other thing too is we certainly, um, there's always kind of this saying out there and, and a lot of food banks are involved in this space of let's feed the line. Like There's a line of people here, whether it be at a food bank or, or coming to a mobile market. And, and for me personally, my interest is how do we shorten the line? How do we get less people needing this? Um, Fresh Express isn't involved in this fight any, in any way, but one of the bigger pieces that we continue to see in food insecurity around the country is that many of the people that are working multiple jobs are actually the ones that are using food banks continually again and that are experiencing food insecurity. So it's not just this idea that they, people don't have a job or they don't have access to these things, they're poor, they don't have any money, and so they go to food banks. Many times people are working 40 hours or more and they still can't feed their families the foods they need to eat. So how do we start to have a more robust conversation about livable wages in this country so that people don't need to, to rely on this safety net as much? How do we um, start to uncouple some of the predatory marketing with regard to sugary sweetened beverages or unhealthy products that they've shown that are advertised and marketed towards low-income communities way more sure. than everybody else. And so 
again, you know, it's a, it's a complicated issue, but our, our whole goal is to just start to create some awareness and choice options for those that are affected most by this problem. Nice. Um, how has the reception been with uh, convenience stores to offering fresh foods? You know, I don't really work in that space too much. Um, I think some of the big barriers that, I, that I've heard in the past are, you know, concerns for refrigeration. Mm. They don't mind carrying any products that they know are going to sell, but they want to make sure that if they're going to have products on the shelves, that, that, that the shelves are going to be able to equip to keep these things healthy. They're not going to, you know, spend a bunch of money and then be able to get a two-day shelf life on something if it's not going to sell. So I think that's been some of the biggest concerns. And you've seen typical, there's a pilot program a couple years ago in Philadelphia, and they actually created um, like micro grants for convenience stores to purchase uh, cooling spaces yeah. to, to hold produce, and and once that financial you know investment was taken care of or repaid, um, it was great. I mean, the, granted, it's very different on the East Coast, but that smaller market and bodega market in those inner city or, or, or more densely populated cities is a little bit different than here. Um, but a lot of store owners just want to know that it'll sell, and they don't they don't mind which products they want. They just want to make sure that those products are going to come off the shelves. And so, again, it comes back to that partnership approach of, you know, kind of the, you know, field of dreams saying, if you build it, they will come. That's not necessarily true. Let's make sure that we're giving them the tools, the education they need to show up in the first place and make sure that demand is already there before we put the supply there. Yeah, you can mess that up pretty easily, I imagine. I really seem to recall being in Las Vegas last year and going to some gas stations and seeing what you're describing, some kind of a, a refrigeration system, mm-hmm. and they were advertising buy fresh local mm-hmm. food there. So and anyway, I should have had more information about that. But um, in, in terms of the online, uh, talking about Amazon being able to deliver food and stuff like that, do you see that actually being viable once they're able to accept Snap online? You or? know, it's... I- so I'm, it's, it's a cautionary tale, and it'll be interesting to see um, how the change in, in some of Amazon's, you know, practice, I'm thinking specifically with regard to Whole Foods. I certainly think that there's an opportunity there. Um, I do worry about what it means to cut out the small and local And I didn't growth. mean to say Amazon. I should have I yeah. just said buying food online and having it delivered. I don't care who it is that's delivering yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I certainly think, you know, I, so I would say on a personal level, I wrestle a lot with the idea of moving toward just a, this illusion of choice online where maybe one, one or two companies, major companies, own the marketplace and, and dictate the terms of how we're going to do it. On the other hand, I don't want to say it's this inevitable force because I do think there's a lot we can do mm-hmm. on the ground to kind of prevent this from becoming our main source of, of market-based economy. But, but if, if there is going to be a space for an online retailer to sell, I certainly think that everybody deserves access to it, right? And so um, if we're going to say that, you know, everybody else is going to get their food delivered online, what better way to think about solving the food desert problem than to create that equity on the internet so that other people can use those benefits that are that are theirs? You know, you can, we don't have to get into a whole discussion about whether or not food stamps should exist or things like that, but but as it stands today, that is a benefit that, that people own that becomes their food dollars yep. and so sure. they should be able to spend those um, and you shouldn't be stigmatized for that 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 those are your dollars they should be able to spend them however you want and so I certainly think that there's a conversation I just want to make sure that as we have that conversation we're working directly between um, either growers or or local food retailers that aren't that are going to um, be able to have that conversation in a way that is going to make the most sense for the community um, but it, it's certainly something to think on. So the, I, the last I saw, there were, I think, eight different pilot projects with different retailers happening across the country this year. And it was going to be a year-long um, pilot through the USDA to see how this goes. I think one of the biggest concerns are privacy and, and making sure that people mm-hmm. aren't taking advantage mm-hmm. of the system, um, which there really is no evidence to suggest that they are, even in traditional food stamp transactions or SNAP transactions. There's very little fraud. It's a misnomer, I think, that people assume... You know, people are buying, what was the crab leg guy in in San Diego in 2012 or something. (laughs) That is not, turns out to be the norm for people. It's going to be outliers, right? Right, Obviously. Um, And so I certainly think there's an opportunity to have this conversation about how we create that platform online that, that, you know, keeps it to food options and and, and gives people the opportunity to make their own choices. 
um, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to start that conversation. So for listeners, uh, and you don't have the, the whole history, but I, I'm curious to know how food insecurity became topical, why this became such a uh, topic of focus for government private partner, like what made it bubble up? So the food stamps were actually created um, around uh, the Great Depression, and it was basically a way to support farmers. Um, there mm. was a way to just say, uh, essentially a guarantee buy for farmers so that a lot of the food that they were buying was just going straight to landfill, but they wanted to keep the farmer economy, which back then was everything. There were no processed food manufacturers in the 30s and 40s. It was whole foods only, you know, meat and dairy and, and, and vegetables and fruits. Um, and so the original intent was to really support farmers. And, um, you know, after World War II, that changed a little bit, and we made a very robust um, concerted effort to create the middle class here. And, you know, we can have a whole conversation on who was in that middle class and who was left out of that middle class, but the goal was really to make sure that, that there was this robust middle class. Um, and so food stamps kind of transformed as this food safety net, if you will, to really make sure that people had access to food. Um, in recent years, in the last 40, 30, 40 years, what you've really seen is a transformation in where those food dollars are actually going to, and you see an influx of money coming from, um, you know, private corporations, from, from processed food manufacturers. Um, today, for every dollar that's spent on SNAP, only 16 cents goes directly to farmers. Most of that food is being purchased um, is unhealthy foods, mm. and and we can see that across the country as well. I don't want to I don't want to say that you it's know only SNAP syrup. users, yeah, only SNAP users, you know, buy processed foods. But but it, it is interesting to say when you know we're trying to think about this this idea of of people needing access to food and, and needing um, you know access to to feed their families. Um, very little of that is going to the foods that that we should be buying. Um, Again, it's not to stigmatize or to say that it, it's one because it's prevalent in every level of our society. But you know, one of the things that I love about Double Up Food Bucks and what we're doing is really incentivizing that healthy food to get back to the source. And I think, you know, as as wages have stagnated, as the cost of living has increased, as access to basically the the tools and resources we need to get out of poverty become more and more unattainable for people. Food insecurity has has remained the same. And so, uh, one statistic I recently read said that. Around the rest of the world, the people experiencing food insecurity has dropped by half. And in the last 30 to 40 years in the U.S., it has remained the same. And if you think about the billions and billions of dollars that go into charitable food, that go into food banks, that go into, you know, the canned food drives and things like that, there should be no reason why that's still happening. And, and you know, a lot of the research and studies point to the fact that we haven't increased raises to keep up with creating opportunities for people to live healthy, equitable, mm. you know, robust lives, productive lives. We're not giving them the tools that they need to truly um, get out of poverty. And so, again, overlay that with some of the special interests and the processed food that comes in that markets specifically towards communities that say, buy these foods, and oh, by the way, we're not going to give you access to these other foods. What you've seen is is really kind of a an upturn approach where the working poor, even the working middle class, can no longer afford to feed their families. Um, so I think, in my personal view, if, if we're really going to have a conversation about getting people out of food insecurity uh, or getting them to food security, um, we have to start talking about how we're actually going to combat poverty, how we're actually going to um, pay people livable wages. Um, I think food insecurity is a, is a uh, symptom of a greater issue and that greater issue is is people are, are experiencing poverty at rates that in 2018 and, and given um, the opportunities that are out there we should be extending those opportunities to more people so that they can get out of out of that situation well i certainly agree with that and that is that is a lot yes right there yeah <laughs> and probably another thing that really 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 complicates this and makes it really hard is that what proper nutrition is, and what the right foods to eat are, is such a cluster because the food pyramid is, is to a degree ridiculous. And I don't think anybody really understands, and depending on who you're talking to, you should be eating this, but not that. Right. So how in the world is somebody supposed to really understand that? Mm. And then whose job is it? Are, are we supposed to really 
trust the government who gave us and fed us this, this BS for so many years? That's a, a, probably an impossible question for you to answer, but... Yeah, just, you're putting a lot on my shoulders here to solve the world's food problems. Fix it. It's a great opportunity fix it. for me. Do it. Um, so, in terms of what we should be eating, um, we, can, we can go as far down this rabbit hole as you like. Um, but I think one of the things that has been consistent and what a lot of the research continues to show is that the more fruits and vegetables you eat, the more plant-based foods that you eat, the healthier your lifestyle is going to become. Um, and and there, there was a recent study out that showed that it's not um, this idea that it's, it's certain calories and types of calories and proteins over carbohydrates. It's, it's whole starches, it's whole foods, it's fruits and vegetables, um, that, that those foods, you can never eat too much. You're never going to overdose on broccoli. Um, you're probably not going to get full on broccoli either. I understand that. But, but the more fruits and vegetables you eat, the more plant-based foods you eat, the healthier your lifestyle and the healthier your, your, you know, your longevity is in the long term. Um, you, you're less likely to experience osteoporosis as you age. Um, they've even done some studies that show a correlation between diet and Alzheimer's. Um, and oh, sure. And, and pretty much anything that you can point to, there's, there's, there's evidence to suggest those can be reversed or at least slowed with a plant-based diet. So I, on a personal level, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a vegan, I'm, I'm a plant-based eater anyway, and so I've seen that transformation in family members, in myself, um, the benefits of, of eating a diet like that. So just, I mean, just adding more fruits and vegetables, forget the rest of it. If we just did that, that would be a real big step in the right direction. Sure, sure. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways, you know, if you think about, if we think about humanity or, you know, the human species in general, we never would have gotten to this point had we eaten terrible foods. We just wouldn't have evolved to be where we are today. So there was a, there was a point where we were sustaining ourselves on foods um, that, you know, got us to this point. At a certain point, that changed, and there's a lot of maybe smaller points where that change happened. Um, one of, I think, the biggest misconception is that we were all these like cave people who ate meat all the time, and we never had access to these things. But what you see in in early civilizations is that almost everybody was a grain-based or a starch-based eater. All of these early civilizations were starch-based eaters. So we're not talking like just eat more fruits and, and veggies and salads, which won't fill you up. We're talking substantive carbohydrates from from starches from grains from um, millet from corn from these things like that um, and then you know we kind of had these diseases of kings and those were the diseases which were very very heavy in meats only and that was this um, you know our brains are hardwired to attract high density foods to try high fat foods because in early days and grazing days we would maybe come past a, a animal or a high fat food very rarely. And so when we did, our brains are hardwired to attract that because those were the things that kept us alive. But in, in the interim, in between them, we ate, we ate plants, we ate starches, we ate what was available. Um, and so we naturally want these high density foods. We naturally want these, these fat foods, these high fat foods, um, we're, we're evolved to, to desire them. Um, but that very quickly, when you now you fast forward and now we have an abundance of those foods, we essentially become, you know, addicted to them. Mm. Um, we become addicted to wanting that and craving that more. And we think it's like, oh, I just have this craving. But really our body is, is chemically addicted to these foods. And they've seen that in sugar, where it's the same level of addiction that you find in opiates, yeah. that you find in heroin, that it's our brain is being hijacked the same way. Um, and so now we live in, in environments where these foods are always available and we don't have essentially the ability to stop and say, no, our bodies are physically craving this. How do we stop that? So certainly fruits and vegetables, um, the more you can get, the less you're eating of those foods, that really helps. And I think in my line of work in Fresh Express, that is one thing that we want to do is create the choice for people to buy more. They don't have those opportunities to buy more of those things. And so we give them that choice to say, hey, I want to I want to add more of this. And we can have those conversations about how they incorporate more fruits and vegetables into their diets. Um, in terms of, you know, you know, there's a lot of the diets and fads out there, but one thing people, you know, can do from a, from a climate change perspective, but there's something called meatless Mondays. You know, I'm not saying that everybody has to convert to a plant-based diet tomorrow, but maybe just reduce our intake of meat. Um, I remember listening to your podcast with, with Kimber Landing at Local First, and one of the things I love is she was, you know, obviously Kimber's an avid um, and, and a, a hard uh, 
ally for, for a local economy, uh, but she recognizes that not everybody's going to change their behaviors to 100% local. Um, and so what's that 10% look like? And, and I would say the same thing for diet. On the societal level, what does that 10% look like? What does that 15% look like? Um, what does even that 20% look like where you can start eating more plant-based foods, um, reducing, which would reduce your carbon footprint, which would, you know, the number one contributor, I believe, for the, is methane gas to, to climate change. Um, and where does that come from? It comes from animal agriculture. And so if we all just shifted our footprint a little bit and reduced that, that would have tremendous effects on our planet. It would have tremendous effects on communities that are disproportionately affected by climate change and some of these other things. And so um, I think that's a good conversation starter. I think, you know, my hope is that someday, 100 years from now, the way we think it's crazy that, you know, we ever got around on a horse-drawn buggy, that somebody looks at that and goes, I cannot believe that we thought it was a good idea to eat these foods so often and so many times, right? right? Um, so that's a very personal level. I don't know that, that it's necessarily a goal of Fresh Express, but how do we just start to shift our, our behavior and eating habits a little bit? Because at the end of the day, it's all the food. It all comes back to the foods that we eat. So just a little bit out of time. I have never heard of Meatless Monday. That's something I'm going to try. Really? I love that. I got the tar to try meatless I'm going to do it. I'm literally going to put that on my calendar. Like, I will not eat meat today. Every Monday. We'll see how long it goes. We'll okay. see how long it goes. There's also one called um, <laughs> VB6, which is vegan before 6. Um, and that same type of thing. So after 6 o'clock, you can eat. And what they found, uh, people who did that diet, I mean, their footprint was reduced huh. tremendously as well. So you can eat it every day, just after 6 p.m. After 6. I love that. Start small. Love it. And I mean, that's how I, that's how I, I would never... I would never want to push a certain journey or a path on any person. I think every individual has to make their own choices and they have to come to whatever works best for them. But I will say that, that you know, what I found is that you start somewhere and that informs something else you do and something else and you kind of end up on this journey. Um, and certainly on a, on a personal level, I've, I've seen that happen with me, with, with family members. Um, my husband is... Uh, doing a, a whole YouTube series now called Well Your World and he's working on an urban farm and it's the same type of thing as we're meeting people where they're at in their journey and how do we give them the tools necessary to lead a healthy lifestyle um, and it's about helping people find their own journey and given the truth and given knowledge and given the actual yeah, resources yeah. they need to be successful. So you've been at the helm of this for a while um, at helm of a very innovative nonprofit. I served on I think two boards with you I think two mm -hmm. uh with you so tell me or tell us a little bit how have your views and approaches on leadership changed since you've been in this position and have you as you've ascended in your career yeah that's a really good question um so I was very much kind of in this space of I mean I certainly had a tremendous team with Discovery Triangle from day one, and I feel really lucky to have learned from Don and, and Elisa, who's our CEO now, and, and Sarah, who's, who's been involved with our project since the beginning, um, just a lot about, you know, these things that I assumed I knew coming out of grad school, and this, oh, it's going to be easy, and I'm just going to get this bus, and it's all going to work out, and, and understanding um, the nuance that is involved in that has been, has been a tremendous learning opportunity for me, and I think in the past, you know, I've, I know how I operate and I know, um, you know, I've worked for other employers and, and certainly in jobs where you always, you always have the idea, well, when I'm the leader, I'm going to do it this way and that way. And then you get in this leadership role and you realize it's much more complicated than you, than you think. And so one of the things that I've tried to do with my staff, I think, um, is make sure that they feel bought into the process the whole way. Um, when I was, uh, first getting started with Fresh Express, we were very much in our infancy and just trying to make sure that this was a viable option that the community even wanted. And now that we're here to stay, it's really kind of translated like, okay, we're not going anywhere. I by no means have all the answers. And so how do I make sure that my staff feel empowered to, to help me get to the next level as well? Um, and so I think from a leadership perspective, giving people that opportunity um, to, to make their voice heard. Um, you know, one of the things through... YMP and Phoenix, we sat on that board together. My biggest thing was was stepping up and then stepping back. And so how do we how do we create the structure and and create the path so that young leaders can get involved in whatever their passion is, um, and and be that leader and that force for them, and then get out of the way so they can do that. And one of the things you know you continually hear with young people and millennials is this idea like we're ready for this. We're just waiting for these leadership positions to come around. And and I think that's certainly true. I, I also think that we tend to think we know way more than we do. And and there's a value to having mentors and to learning and to being patient, which does not come easily to me. Um, but to hmm. the value of patience and waiting and 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 thinking you've got it all figured out and then waiting a little bit longer. Um, and I and I loved 
being involved with YMPN Phoenix in that respect because you were in this unique opportunity to create that space and then give opportunities for people to lead, um, which doesn't always go as, as smoothly as planned. And that's great because we had an opportunity for them to learn and grow within that space. Um, I think in the in the nonprofit sector in general, um, we're experiencing a really cool opportunity in Phoenix or in Arizona in general with the amount of people that are involved in nonprofits and really starting to look at this sector from a more uh, really a big hitter in a way that I don't think people thought the nonprofit sector was really going to do. You know, we employ one in five people in the state now, and and, it, and we have tremendous opportunity to start to set the stage for what we want social service delivery to look like in the f- future, how we truly start to put ourselves out of business by solving some of these big problems right. that we're trying to tackle. Um, and that means collective impact. That means, uh, you know, working together. That means, you know, not having to be involved in everything, letting other people take the lead on certain projects instead of being the entity that needs to do it all. Um, and so I've learned a lot in that, in, in being one of many voices and not needing to be the only voice, either with regard to food insecurity or just in the nonprofit space and, and social delivery space in general. Um, so I think that, you know, really kind of translates into this bigger idea of, of what it means to be a leader, because we're only as strong as our team and everybody else. And it's just, again, we're one, one piece of this larger puzzle that we're trying to figure out. Excellent. So how would you counsel people to, to become involved with this movement? So um, for Fresh Express, if you're interested in volunteering, we're about to launch our volunteer program. Um, we're going to have a lot of opportunities in the coming months. Um, just if you have you know, a couple hours a day, um, even a couple hours a week to, to help out on the bus, assist with, with our, our sales and with our customers. Um, we also are going to have some canvassing opportunities. Um, there's situations in neighborhoods where we do our best to get the word out, but you know, even two streets over, they don't know that the bus is over there selling produce for the hour that we're there. So we want to make more of an effort to spread out into the community and make sure that we're um, reaching the customers um, that need us most. So if you want to get involved that way, I will certainly take all the help we can get. Um, you could go to our website, which is discoverytriangle.org backslash fresh-express. Um, and I'm sure you can put my info and contact info in the, the podcast. But um, other ways, I think, uh, you know, just doing a lot of people, I remember a couple years ago being involved in a, in a uh, kind of a leadership conversation with people. And people said, I don't understand, you know, I I, I live I live in a food desert. My my grocery store is really far away, but they live, you know, in a gated community in, in the northern part of Phoenix or something like that. And, and and I think part of it is just the education and understanding and understanding that just because it their perception is not necessarily reality and and this particular person just couldn't understand what was so big deal about a food desert, but now take away the car and all of a sudden it's 120 degrees and you can't carry eight bags of groceries and and so I think awareness is a certain part and there's many many resources and tools that you can find to to learn more about this I'm reading a book right now called Big Hunger and it's about the hunger um the corporate hunger industrial complex and and this entire system that is that is at play um so there's a tremendous amount of knowledge and resources that you can learn about um and then as much as possible as much as your budget allows or as much as your your time allows uh, get to know a farmer. Farmers are actually very easy to talk with. If go to your farmer's market. A lot of the farmer's market stands around the valley, um, around the state, um, are manned by the farmers themselves. And there are, I'm going to get this number wrong, but there are, I would say, over two dozen different farmer's markets around the state that now accept double up food bucks, which means they accept SNAP dollars as well. So it's not you know, the farmer's market idea that we have is that it's just this kind of arts market and the food is very expensive. Um, we, you know, they accept all kinds of payments. So there's certainly opportunities for everybody to shop. Um, shop on Fresh Express. We're open to the public at every one of our stops. And you can support your local farmers that way. Um, yeah. Those are just a couple big, many ways to get involved. <laughs> Excellent. <clears throat> nice. And... If you could make one plea to the world, what would that plea be? So there's a, uh, it's, Arizona, Arizona legislature is in session right now. Um, there's a bill that um, a group of us have been working on under the leadership of Pinnacle Prevention, which is a nonprofit here that is just doing incredible work around food insecurity and around health. Um, the bill is SB 1245. It just actually passed the Senate. 
and it's a fruit and veggie incentive bill. So for the last couple of years, we've had Double Up Food Bucks um, in Arizona, which matches uh, local foods dollar for dollar. So for on the Fresh Express bus, for every dollar that our SNAP customers spend on locally grown foods, they get another dollar to spend on anything else on the bus. And it's a two-for-one deal up to $20 a day. So you can take home $40 of produce and only spend $20. It's great. Awesome. Um, we are working on a bill to get some matching funds from the state level to go into this pool of funds available. So there's already federal dollars here, there's public-private funds within this Double Up Food Bucks program, and we want the state to kick in a little bit as well so that we can start to have these um, conversations with grocery stores in rural communities, um, with other farmer's markets around the state. Right now, a lot of the farmer's markets in the northern and southern parts of the state have Double Up, but in the east and western parts, Mm. it's very limited. And so we want those extra dollars to expand it so that those dollars go directly back to local farmers so we can start to really build a robust food economy. Um, so if you can, call your reps. Like I said, it just left the Senate, which means it's going to the House. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, once you get in, it's very easy, but um, there's something called request to speak at the, down at the legislature, and you can go and sign in, see which bills get assigned to which committee, and you can put a thumbs up or thumbs down. You don't actually have to speak. You can just show your support or opposition for a bill. And not a lot of people use this system, and the representative and the legislators they look at that. They, they want to see what, what their constituents and what their, their residents feel about certain issues. Um, so support SB 1245. Call your representatives. Um, ask them to support it and, and make sure that, that that is a priority as we continue this last little push in the, in the session here. Um, it's a tremendous opportunity, like I said, not only for, for our local retailers, for our local food growers, um, for our farmers, but also for... Um, the families themselves that want more access to, to locally grown food, to nutritious food. So please, please support that. Excellent. Sweet. Centauri, what have we forgotten to talk about? Nothing. Looking forward to Meatless Monday. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. What it, what, what it doesn't show right now is that half smile <laughs> that you just gave. <laughs> I'm proud of you. So instead of eating meat on Monday, try to fill up on broccoli. Okay, got it. That'll be what I do. For potatoes. You know, I don't Oh, I'll be coming to you for recipe. I have no idea what people like. Challenge accepted. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. Perfect. Sweet. And then whichever one you choose, if you attempt to fill up on potatoes or broccoli, go ahead and re- record that and put it on YouTube. <laughs> or, or Periscope or Facebook Live, whatever. I love it. At least. You ate 10 pounds of broccoli today. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. We, yeah, thank we, you. We, we, we appreciate it. And we will list all the stuff that we talked about in the notes of the show. Um, if you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, share it with somebody who appreciates good ideas. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.